The opioid epidemic. This widespread addiction was a media buzzword and one of the CDC's largest concerns before the coronavirus pandemic hit in 2020. The blame has been cast to specific individuals since it began gaining significant media attention in the 1990s. A poor issue. A rural issue. A white issue. And a southern issue. But why? I mean, it's an epidemic. In 2019, an estimated 10.1 million of these, quote, individuals age 12 or older misused opioids. Specifically, 9.7 million people misused prescription pain relievers and 745,000 people used heroin. That's a lot of individuals for this to be merely an individual or even an individual region's issue alone. Instead, the questions we need to be asking is what system or systems could have played a role? Historically, that is. To make this as big as it has become. And further, when we look at who the opioid epidemic is impacting and who it's affecting at significantly lower incidences, we can unpack yet another way that the system continues to deny Black access to the resources necessary for livelihood. So, where exactly does it reach that? And when? Most importantly, who? Buckle up, because we're headed to the postbellum and antebellum American South. This is This American Strife. I'm Lauren Forsyth. The origins and the exacerbations of the opioid epidemic can be traced back to far beyond its burgeoning media attention in the 1990s. The initial surge of opioid use and misuse actually reaches all the way back to the postbellum South, during and immediately after the Confederacy lost the Civil War. But to understand just how this problem became a problem, It's important to define what exactly an opioid is and what it was and continues to be utilized for, specifically during the antebellum period in the South and its introduction. So, what exactly are opioids and opiates? Well, on a very basic level, opioids are incredibly potent pain relief drugs. Not to mention, they are highly, highly, highly addictive. No one likes pain, and opioids make it go away. It's like magic. Really addicting magic. Before the introduction of opioids to the medical community, the majority of quote, medical, end quote, remedies were useless or positively dangerous. However, doctors were still paid for their services, and as such, they felt they needed to do something for their patients, even if that treatment was largely a placebo effect. Well, that being said, doctors also believed there existed drugs that could be given for all ailments, physical and psychological alike. A magic panacea like many toss around ibuprofen or Tylenol now. 
Well, after serving patients, the gangrene accompanied calomel as their magical cure to everything for so long, opiates became a much more digestible solution. And no pun intended. For example, a southern physician, Dr. John Bernard Vandergriff, recorded which drugs he prescribed for which ailments with his patients. On the list under the uses for opioids, it included asthma, bronchitis, cholera, chlorosis, colic, diarrhea, dysentery, hemorrhoids, intermittent fever, leucorrhea for pain relief, anti-nausea, and even as a treatment for distemper in horses. The next question worth tackling is how the South played any role in the creation of the opioid epidemic. Well, spoiler alert here about the Civil War, the South or the Confederacy lost. The Confederacy experiences more casualties than the North as a result, and subsequently they were more wounded, shell-shocked, and ex-Confederates in need of medical and psychological intervention. Well, this loss of the Civil War was also accompanied by the, quote, realization that a way of life was irretrievably lost, leading to a sort of pervasive depression among the planter elite. Well, with these things combined, the loss of the Civil War created the greatest health disaster of the 19th century for the American South which led to surgeons, physicians, and psychologists alike to rely more heavily than ever on opiates, including newly available hypodermic morphine injections. As a means to relieve pain for the army, it could be utilized to treat any injury, from a simple laceration to an amputation. As this new medical panacea became incredibly common then to prescribe these opioids to specifically white, Southern Americans, particularly these these soldiers. These common prescriptions were followed by the subsequent highest addiction rate of any regional racial group in the country. And after being treated with these opiates during the war, the soldiers continued to purchase and utilize opioids for their pain management without any sort of legal regulations to curb it. Well, now that we've covered the introduction of opioids into Southern white people, how did the problem persist? How did a system not address these problems well enough for it to continue on some 100 years later? Well, opioid addiction often appeared in medical journals, textbooks, newspapers, and other sources of media in the South, beginning around the 1830s. However, medical professionals widely attributed opiate addiction to a sufferer's mental illness, like what we now know as post-traumatic stress disorder, or some kind of moral failing. These individuals were often victim-blamed, stigmatized, even institutionalized as a result. You begin to see the blame the individual philosophy so familiar to the Americans who consider themselves so patriotic to never criticize the system in and of itself. We see, however, that the majority of people's access to opioids is through the prescriptions they receive from the healthcare system. 
a number of hospital and pharmaceutical records, including one from an 1854 prescription file of a pharmacy in Burlington, New Jersey. In the North, without the higher incidences of prescriptions that the Confederacy was given, this file indicates that opiates were the most commonly prescribed medications of the entire 19th century. And we know that it was even more so utilized in relation to wounded Confederate soldiers. We know this because a Confederate medical handbook describes opioids as the most indispensable drug on the battlefield, important to the surgeon, as gunpowder to the ordinance. One of the largest concepts related to addiction and substance use continues to be that of enabling. The idea that anyone who offers the drug or resources to acquire a drug or supports a user in their misuse is accountable for that use. Well, when the American medical and healthcare system funneled opioids into the American South, specifically to the wounded and mentally ill ex-Confederate soldiers, they may be one of the largest enablers in a problem that they like to construe as anyone else's but their own. One hundred plus years later, there exists an opioid epidemic in the United States. It was declared to be a public emergency in 2017, but it's one that the American government, with the healthcare system in hand, has largely projected blame onto the low-income and rural communities of America, Appalachia being the prime example for the South. In 2015, there were nearly 6,000 overdose deaths in Appalachia. That's a rate 65% higher than the rest of the nation. Almost 70% of those deaths were caused by opioids, and an overwhelming majority of them to individuals between the ages of 25 and 44. While incredibly frightening statistics, this aspect of Appalachia has taken up the label of Southern Appalachia as a whole. In Netflix's hit film based on the memoir by J.D. Vance, Hillbilly Elegy serves to demonstrate both the personal nature as well as the severe extent of the epidemic in the rural South but treats it as an epidemic you can escape when you hop in your car and drive X number miles away. This representation of the epidemic overwrites any other value that Southern Appalachia could provide. Again, this places blame on the individuals contained in this individual area. Because if it were a systemic, healthcare-driven phenomenon, it would be occurring nationwide. Spoiler alert again, it is. Those places just either, one, aren't in the media, or two, have media representations other than just ignorance and opioid abuse. While the opioid epidemic's roots may be grounded in the American South, though it still heavily impacts the area, this is because the system has led it. It funneled opioids into the southern public sphere and continues to point its fingers at them for being the root of an issue they caused. So yes, the opioid epidemic was brewed in the American South, and it continues to be blamed for the issue. But I haven't yet articulated one of the largest through lines from the mid-1800s until now. Notice how I kept saying white Confederate soldiers. White Southern people. 
One of the strongest through lines from the post-bellum and antebellum South's opioid usage to now is the difference in usage between white and black Southerners, and what this means for the still limited black access to healthcare. Black soldiers made up less than 1% of the Confederate Army, and as such were not nearly as affected by combat wounds that medical professionals so readily threw opioids at. Further, the pervasive depression white Southerners faced with the failing of the Confederacy was not the case for black Southerners, for fairly obvious reasons here. So they didn't get the opium-can-heal-your-sadness treatment either. Most significantly, however, is that black Southerners were so completely and utterly subjugated in a structural way in society. Because many were enslaved, they possessed so little capital to afford medical care, and actively were seen as less than people by the hegemonic white healthcare system. Psychiatry in the 19th century suggested that opiate addiction stemmed from mental overstimulation that could only occur among intelligent, sensitive, white Americans, while black Americans were too, quote, simple-minded to experience mental overstimulation and would not succumb to opiate addiction as a result. Jumping to now, studies demonstrate that the incidences of black Americans engaging in opioid abuse is still far lower than that of white Americans. What needs to be clarified at this point is that there are people who utilize this as a good sign, a great thing. Why I'm certainly not here to tell all of you that having a lower incidence of opioid abuse is a bad thing, this is largely an oversimplification of the issue. There is not some intrinsically unique characteristic of the black American population that makes them any more likely to use these substances, rather a systemically perpetuated one. A similar trend for a disappointingly, albeit the cynic in me says not surprisingly, similar reason. Black access to healthcare in the South is still incredibly stunted. Public health insurance programs remain vital to make sure that low-income African Americans, as they tend to be poorer than other demographic groups due to all sorts of disenfranchisement, can access the care that they need as well. The Affordable Care Act alone causes many Black Americans to fall within a coverage gap, so expansion of Medicaid is necessary to access care at all. Thirty-seven of the 50 states have extended Medicaid. Out of the 13 who did not, southern states make up 7. 58% of the black American population lives in the American South. Let that sink in for a minute. epidemic is just that, an epidemic, a widespread addiction that is killing Americans every single day. The first opioid epidemic in America was in the South, the Civil War South. It was generated by the medical community's response to the Civil War and the Confederacy's loss. As opiates were injected into this community at alarming rates, a staple for any physically or mentally wounded soldier, the healthcare system created a monster. 
one that would spike not only in the South, but throughout the entire country a hundred years down the line yet again. But while the state would like to cast the epidemic as one that is contained, individualistic, or morally stunted, it is ones that origins tell otherwise. And it's one that, while affecting predominantly white people, is grounded in the white supremacy that the Confederacy and the American healthcare system share. It's so much more than a headline, so much more than the people, the individuals it affects, and so much more than the perverse South being the perverse South. It's systemic. This has been This American Strife, and I'm Lauren Forsythe, logging off.